Hello friends, welcome back to another episode of Bird. I'm your host, Magdalena Wielopolski, not to be confused with today's guest, Magdalena Woshinska, who is an incredible photographer based out of Los Angeles. I, I came across Magdalena's work a few years ago when um, I was reading Dave Grohl's memoir, The Storyteller, and I saw that she did the photography for the book. So I went down this rabbit hole of her Instagram and, and just loved her style and the kind of work that she was doing. But the thing that really stood out to me was the personal stories she was sort of interweaving between her commercial work. And there were some really intimate portraits of her family, in particular her mom, who was going through cancer and then passed away, and Magdalena's relationship with her mother and, and, and taking care of her in that time. But then there's all these beautiful stories of kind of her upbringing, um, coming over from Poland, growing up here in the States, um, and kind of how she got to photography. So I'd been following her for a few years, and then earlier this year, I had another miscarriage. Uh, and a couple of days after the DNC procedure, I was scrolling through Instagram, and I came across a post that Magdalena shared, which was around her experience freezing her eggs. And it was a really horrific story um, and one that's not often told about what can go wrong when you're trying to freeze your eggs. And it's not a given. Not everybody is able to to do that. And that was her experience. And it was really heart-wrenching to, to read it and see the photos that she posted with it. And like I said, I was going through something huge at that time. Um, and there felt felt like this real connection with her you know, our names, obviously, our Polish background. I grew up in Australia. She grew up in America. Um, Dave Grohl being this connection as well. And now there was this incredible personal trauma that we were both going through. And it compelled me to reach out to her and ask if she would talk about it and, and meet on Bird. And that's what happened. So what you're going to hear is our, our first meeting. And I think we could have talked for hours. There was this real connection and real parallel experience in our lives, especially with our culture and background and, and now both living in Los Angeles. So this is, this is that um, conversation. Uh, I really hope you enjoy it. We have the same name. Yeah. <laughs> How do you introduce yourself? No, I mean, when I was younger, I used to say Magda because I wanted to feel more American. And now I say Magdalena or Magdalena. I still say it in an American way. Yes. Magdalena. Yeah. Magdalena Wyszynska is how I am trying to get comfortable saying it. But a lot of people that are speaking English are going to botch my name. So... I say Magdalena Wasinska. Oh, wow. See, so I say Magdalena. Yeah. Which my mom hates. It's Magdalena. Yeah. Um, my last name is Wielopolska, Wielopolski here because of my Australian yeah. passport. Um, I always I always say my last name right, but I immediately start spelling it. It's Wielopolski, W-I-E-L-O. Me too. Right. Me too, always. But what's funny, and the reason I wanted to ask you this, because you, you came to the States with that name yeah I grew up in Australia with that name and I was always known as Magda and I yeah. hated it 
because everybody botched it and yeah. everybody teased me. Yeah. And people Same. didn't start calling me Magdalena until I was 28 when I moved to New York. Yeah. And it changed my life. Yeah. I was like, I love Magdalena so much. Yeah. It's funny because I started saying Magdalena more in my mid-30s when a lot of my girlfriends were like, no, that's your name. Go with it. That's what your mother named you. Even though my mom never called me Magdalena, she would say Magda, Maja, yeah. you know, but things like that. And it's, I feel like I had to mature into that name and now I love it, but I also got teased, you know, because your name is different. Your right. last name is different. The way you pronounce it is different. People tease you just because your parents have accents, because your parents have different names. I also had older parents. So yeah, I totally get it. Yeah, so it's a journey. I know. Isn't it funny? Just a name can make I you, know. from the beginning of coming somewhere can make you feel insecure. Totally. And I'm also quite tall. I'm six foot one. Yeah. So as a kid, Magda, six foot one, I was just like not fitting in. But that's so fucking cool. It is now. Magda, six foot one. Oh my God. Yeah, but you know what? Now is better than then. And all those struggles and hardships, you know, struggle builds character. So it created the person that you are now. Right. So what, what do you think of when you think of Poland? You know, I'm really curious about what it would be like to spend my adult time there. I've never really had, like, peers in Poland. I always had family that I went back to until the last, like, five or six years where I started meeting more people in the photo and film industry. And it's amazing how driven and passionate people are there in the arts. And I don't really, you know, I'm not immersed in the current day-to-day -day life there, but you know, I'm hoping to make a film there in the next two years. And so I'll, it'll be the first opportunity for me to be living in Poland wow. as an adult. So, That's incredible. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to direct a movie in Polish. Um, seeing that, you know, I stopped speaking Polish and learning Polish when I was eight. I mean, I speak Polish, but I stopped learning Polish and reading and writing. And so the way I express myself the best is in English, mm -hmm. but I'm so Polish in my heart. I think like a Polish person, but I express myself in English and I'm curious how it'll be to direct my expressions and passions in Polish because I don't have the vocabulary right. for it because when you move at a certain age you just don't have the vocabulary to how to apply it to your current like career as an adult right you know I didn't learn certain words when I was eight years old about the film industry yeah that's you know incredible I mean? so how are you feeling about that I'm excited because I love a challenge yeah yeah well, you said that in your heart, you're a Polish person. Yeah. What does that mean? I mean, it's just, it's an ancestral thing. It's our mannerisms. It's where you come from. It's how you live in a certain way. I mean, in my family specific, it was like living out of scarcity and over-functioning. And education was important. And holding a clean house and rules and having things tidy and making the most with what you can and being frugal. Yeah. I think that's also somewhat Polish, at, at least in the background of my family. Um, and ancestral of how people like, you know, survived the war and lived through communism and things like that. So I think that I am very much like a product of that environment, but you end up coming to terms with the fact that you're a little bit of it. I'm kind of in limbo between I'm so Americanized, but I'm not American, but I haven't lived in Poland so long. So I'm not hundred percent clear on what to be Polish now is. I'm just Polish how I was born and raised and through my family. Yeah. So you don't know if you're American. You don't know if you're Polish. I'm definitely Polish more than American, but I'm so Americanized that I'm more Americanized than I am <laughs> Polish, if that makes sense. It, well, for me, it makes so much sense. I, I think I grew up in this limbo of 
obviously I grew up in Australia. I sound Australian, but I never felt like I fit in. Mm-hmm. And I never felt like I fit in Poland because mm-hmm. my Polish is funny and I have an accent. Your Polish is really good. It's, you have to give you. yourself a break. I was like, her Polish is amazing, especially since you didn't live in the country. Right. Well, I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. But I think one of the biggest factors for me, and I'd be curious how your parents experienced coming to Australia. Oh, sorry, to America. But my dad fell in love with Australia. And my mom really struggled. She didn't want to be there. She wanted to go back. And she had a real aversion to anything Australian, the culture, the people, everything. And I think subconsciously I took that on as well. And that's why I never felt comfortable. I was like, well, obviously mom loves me and she didn't put this on me. But I sort of thought, well, if you don't like it here so much, do you not like me? Um, And I wanted to get out as soon as possible. And America was this like, you know, the land of the dreams and everything. And since I was like seven years old, I was like, I'm, I'm going to live in the States. It's not Poland. It's not Australia. And I just kind of made my way here. And I still have this, this chip on my shoulder when I think of Australia and just like, I don't belong there, but everybody thinks I'm Australian. And uh, I am. It's so funny. We have so many parallels because when you say that you are Australian, but it's like, you say it, it almost sounds like when you're saying that it is like, um, it was almost a subconscious projection of your mother's unhappiness there with what you grew up in. Mm -hmm. So it made you automatically like reject that country, which is such an incredible place. You know what I mean? It makes me really sad. It's funny because I'm Polish living in America and I want to find a way to live in Australia. Uh, Yeah. In the winters. That's so funny. Yeah. Well, so you mentioned you were going to be doing, um, directing a film in Poland, Mm -hmm. but Tell us about your career right now. How did you get into it? What What's happening? Um, also, I want to go back to the thing you were talking about your mom, though, earlier. Yeah. She like did not feel good in Australia and your dad wanted to be there. That is mm. literally the same thing that was with me and my parents. And my dad was totally down to be here. My mom hated it, didn't fit in, didn't fit in the culture. She was super judged. She never got accepted back into her like life here. And I think going forward with like why my career became what it is is because I almost felt like, okay, well, she didn't get to have what she deserved here because she was a very, like, high-ranking professor in Poland, got her PhD when she was 23, was, like, the head department chair of psychology in Krakow or Warsaw. And she was just, like, a powerhouse, badass writer, all this stuff. And when she came here, she sacrificed everything for me and my sisters. So when I came here, I was like, I have to have a reason to be here. Mm -hmm. And so when America didn't fit in and it didn't taste right, because it didn't, this land of dreams that we always talked about, culture shock is such a real thing, especially for a young child. It really changes the trajectory of your life and your acceptance and your self-worth and your doubts and your insecurities when you just all of a sudden get removed from a place of safety Mm -hmm. to a place of like no one is paying or attention to you, seeing you and understanding you because you're an immigrant. Right. You know what I mean? And you don't speak the language. I didn't speak a word of English. And so I think when I moved here, I felt super rejected. And I've always been trying to find a way to belong into something. And so I started skateboarding when I was in my early teens. And through that, I found photography. Mm-hmm. And then it gave me another reason to be there with all the skaters. And that's how my career started. When I was 14, I started shooting photos of my environment. Then in my 20s, I was assisting. When I was 20, I moved to L.A., And I always have taken the same picture, just of my environment and friends, because since I didn't speak the language Mm -hmm. at first, this was the way that I could communicate. And also, when you're outcasted, you feel like you need to people please. So when I can take a beautiful picture of somebody 
and make them feel good, you feel welcomed and accepted. It's kind of sad. It makes me almost like want to cry thinking about it now because it was like such a struggle to get to the point where it's like, I'm good at this now, but like I probably did it just to find a sense of belonging to make other people happy on top of the fact that it was a way for me to express myself of how to like communicate and just be a part of a team because I never felt like I was a part of anything. Yeah. And I'm like... I think that comes through in the photography. The reason you are so successful is because you can see your photos and and they are real. Mm. Like, it's not this uh, facade. And I think what drew me to your Instagram specifically was that weaving of your story with your professional work, Mm. which really stood out to me and and was so captivating. Thank you. Uh, And I really just appreciated your honesty as well. And I, I wanted to ask you a bit about that, like, how does that feel to put that out there? Like this, your it's all you. It's your professional you. It's your personal you. I mean, it was a lot of the professional me because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Plat- that platform, like Instagram, it was created for photographers to share photos. That's how it started. That was like the original idea. Not what it is now, but it's great what it is now. There's a lot of pluses and a lot of minuses. But um, I started kind of weaving my personal life into it because I was already experiencing so much uh, empathy and vulnerability with other people. And I realized that it's such a platform where people kind of show the good things. And it's like so much of it is a lie. And people just put out what they want to see. They don't put on the hardships of miscarriages, failed relationships, death, things like that. And those are some of the most common things every person's got to experience. Like yeah. one thing we all have in common is we're going to lose someone that we love. And we ourselves are also going to perish. And it's like, what's our relationship with death? Right. You know what I mean? And we just, especially in places like LA, we're trying so hard to not age. And we're putting gallons of filler in our faces and hair extensions and doing everything else to stay like youthful and young. And it's like, there's such a lack of respect Mm. for the elegance and grace of aging and slowly withering away. And then dying so you can transition into the next part of life. Like, death is not the end of life. It's just a transition. And I finally recognized that when I, like, watched half of my heart and my DNA die in my arms when my mom died. And it was the most peaceful experience I've ever had. You know what I mean? The world stopped. The world stopped and became ours for, like, 20 minutes as she took her last breath in my arms. And so it's so interesting because when I started putting myself out there... I was like, I don't want to just put out advertising photography or like photos I shoot of other people's like lives because I also want to talk about my personal life and the stories in my family and my close circle. And I don't want to tell like the lie that everything's all fucking good. Yeah. Because when it's bad, that doesn't mean it's fucking bad. It just means it's real. It exists. And I noticed as I started doing that, like the conversation around my work completely changed. And it almost became like I was helping facilitate the energy for people to be honest with themselves. And if you can do that as a photographer, that's when you can truly call yourself an artist. Like I never called myself an artist. That's such a huge title Mm -hmm. to take until I can translate my emotions through my work. And if you can do that, that's when I think you're an artist. That's incredible. You know what I mean? Because so many people are like, saying that they're artists I'm like you don't know life yet yeah it's like you have to create from a place of emotion not just a place of doing 
as you that's say. That's just an opinion, though. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I was just thinking that for anybody to be able to help somebody else process who they are and what they're going through, like, that's, I think that's what life is all about. Fuck yeah. And also, when you do that as an artist or a photographer and you put it out there, what I get back is, like, like lifetimes of gratitude. Like, what I have gotten from people that are complete strangers is so symbolic to me. I mean, I've had people show up more from, like, strangers on Instagram than people in my real life that were close to me in some of the hardest times of my life because the people closest to me, some of them didn't know how to deal with it. Right. Totally. And strange because they also weren't a part of the club of, oh, you have a dead parent or a club of, oh, you had failed IVF or, oh, you're in the club of you're turning 40 in two months and you're single without kids. You're washed up trash. What the fuck's wrong with you? And then the people that you don't know out in the world that are exactly like you that think the same way about themselves, they reach out and you're like, oh, you're not alone. And we realize that we're all fucking good. Right. And this is exactly what happened. So you posted about your egg freezing experience literally I think two days after my miscarriage and I just had to write to you and I just felt so connected and what you're saying so you know in my little closed bubble of Instagram I shared stuff about my miscarriages and what I was getting back from from close friends who had never experienced it and who were fortunate enough to to have healthy normal pregnancies just the superficiality of those exchanges was really shocking and like I didn't blame them I'm like but what were people saying like oh just keep trying you'll be fine exactly you're like do you know what it's like to fucking bleed out and almost die right (laughs) and or even do you know what's what's wrong like why did that happen yeah like what's wrong with you you're like actually nothing's wrong with me yeah and yeah so it's just like and the so oh I'm so sorry to hear that and then radio silence I was like wow I've known you for 25 years and that's it that's all you have to say yeah because people don't know they don't know how to deal and they don't know how to show up. Right. Anything that's hard, people bounce. Yeah. But the thing is, it's like, you you don't have to have gone through that mm-hmm. to to be an empathetic, sympathetic human. And, and I think that shocked me too. It's just really like, oh, wow, people really kind of deal with stuff. But also people are now, because of Instagram also, as good of a platform it is, it's such a narcissistic way and vain way to show our little television station stories of our own lives that people are just kind of thinking about themselves so empathy is tricky with certain people you know what I mean 100% and so the other thing I wanted to bring up with your post about egg freezing so in reflection to my journey with miscarriage how little did I know about my body (laughs) going into that and even your post I learned more about egg freezing than I have like in my life and I never learned any of that because the doctors could say that this could be a side effect with what happened to me. Nothing was talked about. It was just like, we're going to shove a bunch of hormones in your body. You're going to freeze your eggs and that's that. And you're going to pay us this ridiculous amount of money. Well, when it was in the works halfway through the procedure, or not the procedure, but the egg freezing process, I never retrieved my eggs. And then I almost fucking died by bleeding out. Three months later as a side effect. And there's nothing about it online. The only people that talk to me about it are people that had similar situations happen to them through Instagram. And then all of a sudden you're like so much money in debt. You fucked up your body. Your hormones are raging. You're suicidal. You never got to freeze your eggs. And like, you know, in the last year, my hair has fallen out. 
I'm like, like my hair's starting to grow back from the hormones. Like my body, there's just different parts of my body that like there's certain parts of cellulite and like fat and that I can't lose. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a fit person naturally genetically, but there's like, I know my body has been the same for years and there's just like patches all over my body that are different. Like the hair loss was insane. Skin changed, moods changed. The hormones fucked me up so bad. And I just paid to fuck up my body. I didn't get anything out of it, but a huge credit card bill. Did you go into it feeling, oh, this is a done deal? Like, I'm... Oh, I was so hopeful because I prepped my body for three years. I mean, so much money on acupuncture and a cocktail of the right medications and vitamins. And the thing is, most people have very successful live IVF births. It's totally fine. And I had a great doctor until I realized that he had no interest in this journey once I wasn't able to get my eggs retrieved. They didn't even follow up to try to get me to retrieve my eggs later. I mean, I just had nobody by my side besides my acupuncturist who was like, this isn't something that your body can handle, so you're not going to do this again. And so my whole life changed because yeah. I was single trying to prep for the future. I'm probably going to be single for a while. I've been single for a long time. And so I didn't know what to, you know expect in the future and so I was like if you freeze your eggs that's the right thing to do because I don't know if I'll be able to get pregnant naturally and if I do meet someone soon ish it's still going to be a while till I decide to have a child with them I'm turning 40 this year and so maybe I'll be able to have kids naturally in my 40s and then if I don't then I'll adopt a kid from Poland or two because so many people need to be adopted we forget about that and my in my life I always wanted to pass on a piece of my mom through a child but my mom will be in the soul and the heart of a child that I adopt. And if that doesn't happen, I'll just not have kids. And I had to be so grateful that I have three choices. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because we're just like, no, I need to have a kid. I'm going to do everything it takes to have a kid. And like when I bled out that much, I was just kind of like, this is fucked up. Like, this is not natural. And then I was like, maybe I'll adopt. And I know adoption is very difficult, too. The process is hard. And if that doesn't work out, like. I'm just going to be a really good auntie to all my friends, amazing kids. Mm-hmm. I will show up as much as I can. And then I'll just be hopefully with a cool partner. We'll travel the world and make art. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that for starters. And I'm just so sorry. Like, you know, I hope you had some support. Uh, thankful for your acupuncturist, but other people, but no one understands it. And I'm sorry for your experience too. Cause no one talks about menopause or miscarriages right. or failed IVF. I know. And I don't know if this is your experience too, but in the back of your mind, I'm like, well, the clock's ticking. Yeah. I'm going to be 40 soon. And yeah. then, wait, do I want to have a kid in my 40s? Oh, IVF. And, like, and I'm just like, ah, that baggage that like society has yeah. put on. And, you know, not to out my husband, but we found out that the, the reason the miscarriage is happening because of his issues and... Not yours. Yeah. Did I read one thing about that? And I, like even like through support, miscarriage support, there's no mention of the partner or, or yeah. I mean, the, a male partner. Ah, it's just so gross. And it just changes how you perceive people, the media. Obviously, we know it's all bad, but until you, you're like relying on it for something, then mm-hmm. you realize. So much is untold. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting though that us as women, yes, we have this like, clock in our heads and we have this like thing that makes you have baby fever but it's so interesting that we feel like that's what we're supposed to do because then it's like forcing something even though it's natural it's not natural and like I was very much between 30 I became single at like 36 37 and then I was on this journey for like the last four years 
And when I like bled out and that happened and I was just, I was like excused by like the greater good to be like, you Magda are no longer a part of a fertility journey. And let me tell you, accepting the fact that I won't have kids or I'll maybe have them naturally in my forties, or maybe I'll try IVF in five years when it gets better Mm -hmm. or my body's different, or maybe I'll not have kids. It is so freeing Mm. to not be on a fucking fertility journey. Oh my God. It is so freeing to not take (sighs) a cocktail of fucking pills and medications and vitamins and doing acupuncture and spending so much money. It is so nice just to exist as Magda, as just me with nothing, single and happy. Oh my God. I'm I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life right now. And the world made me feel like I'm supposed to be married and have kids by the time I'm 40. It wasn't my journey. Maybe my mission in life is different. Maybe God or whoever put me on this earth to do something different, be a storyteller. Maybe that's my baby. Maybe the movie I'm making in Poland is my baby. But when you get to this place of being like, I don't know, it makes you hopeful for the unknown future. And the unknown future can be so many different options, but it's going to be your fucking path. Just letting go, letting be, trusting the process. I love that. changed my life i'm so happy to hear that and i'm also so terrified because i'm about to go on this ivf journey and i'm really yeah not looking forward to it but go into it without fear because the fear will bring anxiety and i'll make it hard go into it like i'm so grateful and lucky that i can afford this do this my body is allowing me to do this i have the time to do this i'm young enough and healthy enough to do this go into it super positively and then if it works, amazing. And if it doesn't, you're like, I did everything I could. At least I tried. And then you make the other decisions. But just don't be hard on yourself. Yeah. Like your body is doing what it needs to be doing, how it needs to be doing. And now medication and technology helps yeah. with that. That's true. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Most IVF is really positive. Yeah. I'm just like the 1% that it was a fucking disaster. And it's like, that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, when I, when I had my first miscarriage... I was like, I took it with a grain of salt. I mean, it's so common. And every every doctor you talk to is different. But a, a guy in Poland told me it's one in two. One in two pregnancies ended miscarriage. So, so I was like, okay, like, this is this is happening. And then when two, miscarriage two, three, four comes around, that's when you're just like, like, what the fuck? What is wrong with me? And nothing's wrong with you. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the first way to get rid of that is to stop saying that out loud and right. change the language. Nothing's wrong with me. Well, I found that out now. Well, and also, but nothing's wrong with your husband. Yeah. Because you can't put that out there. You know what I mean? Like, right. whatever issues are, they're going to get sorted. Whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Yeah. That's supposed to happen. And you're going to be super taken care of. Totally. And you know what? I think when I'm like at peace and just quiet, I've, I'm actually fine with the journey that I've been on. But when I start going, getting caught up in the, oh, this is what I'll have to do for IVF or like finding out more information about it, that's where things start getting really anxious. So I think it is just a, and it's kind of what you're saying where you are now is a little bit of a release and a, a, a sort of leaning into the unknown. Yeah. Well, at first you're like excited when you're doing all this stuff to prep because you're doing the best you can. And then when you do it and it doesn't work, then you're like, fuck this. And then you accept it for what it is. Right. Yeah, you totally. Know. This has been wonderful. Yeah. But I'm going to... Me okay. and you are going to have lunch, by the way. We're oh, gonna talk about I can't wait. Things. I can't we wait. We can just record our lunch. There we go. We'll do a follow-up. Part Polish two. Lunch. Part two. Well, so you've kind of said this about your work, but I'm really curious, like, um, what's changed about your your relationship to your work over the years? I think it wasn't me trying to seek out something that's like, I need to find this cool group of people to photograph out 
million miles away in the middle of nowhere that's like doing something unique. It's more like just I start paying attention to things that are like right in front of my nose Mm -hmm. and that community that's around me and the intimacy that I have with the people in my life or like the things that are like accessible. I don't have to like search across the world to find like moving stories. They're just already in my life. So I guess just paying attention to detail changed my work. I love that. And look, you've photographed some amazing people. How like how, how does that happen? How do you bring that attitude to somebody like Dave Grohl or Brett Goldstein or like? I mean, I just act the same to them the way that I do to my mom or dad or my sister or anybody. Anybody, I I, I treat everybody the same. You know, it's like because everybody else is the same. Just because some people are rich and famous doesn't make them any better or different than my mother, who's right. you know dying of cancer in my arms. It's like we're all the same, and so I just have the same attitude when I walk into it. We're always equal. No one, there's no hierarchy ever, 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 ever. And so I think the way to like get people that are used to getting smoke blown up their ass for famous <laughs> celebrities, yeah. um, you just treat them like an equal. You just, you know, automatically go in there, make them feel comfortable, talk about stuff. And I ask them questions, but then I tell them about my life too. So then they can feel like, okay, being vulnerable with me. Mm-hmm. And we just... It's all about banter. It's all psychology. Taking pictures is all psychology. Well, yeah. I mean, it's really, it's hard to be photographed too. Oh yeah, totally. And I also over-direct people. So when I'm talking quickly and over-directing them, they can't even think about what they're doing. They're just listening to me. So they never feel insecure or awkward in front of the camera because they're just like taking direction. And then I'm capturing perfect like poses of theirs and images, but we're still having a conversation. So my mind's going like, 300 miles an hour and I'm doing like 16 things to make that millisecond happen and they're just in the flow. I'm just making sure that they're like good. Yeah, I love that. You obviously talk a lot about your mother. Your mom's a big part of who you are. What comes to mind right now when you think about your mom? Mm, I went to this meditation yesterday in a theater on Wilshire and it was um, five hours long and we were just, I don't really do these things often but one of my friends had an extra ticket and we did this thing where we did like a a breath that went ha ha and it was like 40 minutes of that and then right when we were done it was like supposed to like w- awaken your kundalini i don't think anything got awakened because i had a hangover but <laughs> but i um i had this incredible image of blue and purple colors coming at my face and then this sound of music that was playing kind of aligned me into the same exact dimension my mom slipped into when she died and so she's just always with me and I get to experience these like beautiful paths that she's going through after she died and like this is the third time this year that I connected to her in like a meditation or something at the exact moment of her death when she slipped out of life consciousness into something else So when I think of her, I'm always like, damn, I'm really connecting with you in your moment of dying. And it's so beautiful. It's like majestic. And I like realize at one point I'm in a room with 500 or 5,000 people and I'm like weeping with my eyes closed and the tears wouldn't stop because I was crying from joy because what I was seeing and feeling for her was so beautiful. Mm. It's almost like having a near death experience through her. It was fucking amazing so that's where i'm at with my mom right now wow that's amazing i have you know my parents are getting older i have so much fear Mm. and i just it's interesting because fear is just an emotion that we will create right 
you know, and it's like, it's perspective changing. You can change your perspective and be like, rather than having fear, being like, I'm so excited about the time I still have yet left with them and how I can show up and that I can, you know, help them facilitate comfortably getting older. Mm. And then when you lose them, the only people that suffer are the people left on earth right. because we miss them. They're done with their suffering. Mm. Also, they're tired. Like, they're tired. A lot of people, when they're older and they're lucky enough to age and die old, they're yeah. ready to go most right. of the time. And if they're not, they're going to go, but they're still functioning. Like, my mom and I have connected more deeply in the last year and a half, almost two years since she died, than she, we did in real life. Wow. She is so, so with me. Like, I just spent a month in the desert in May with a writer and we developed the script in my feature film and my mom was just sitting on the couch next to us just facilitating the story oh my gosh I love that I think about that with like you know my dad was born during the war Mm -hmm. in Warsaw me too my dad too in 1942 1943 yeah boggles my mind yeah running from Nazi bombs through the forest as the Germans like flatlined Warsaw when they were just like, we're going to get rid of everything. So at that point, it didn't matter if there was a ghetto or if you were Jewish or Catholic or whatever. It was just like any human being, Polish human being living in Warsaw was fucked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just a side note. My granddad didn't come home one day. So after a few days, my grandma assumed he'd been captured my family's not jewish but what you're saying everybody was just yeah taken. at that point it was done found out he was in auschwitz mm. six months there and my grandma who had german um some german lineage spoke german knew actually knew nazis um got him out after six months and did she bribe the ss soldiers well, we don't really know the details because it seems like they were ruthless and there was well, no. I think they actually knew somebody who was quite high up in the um, SS that got him out. Mm. And what's crazy is a few years ago, my parents were at a party in Poland, and an American historian was there. He he was writing another book about um, the war, and they start talking, and my parents introduce themselves. And my dad says, "Oh, Piotr Wielopolski." And he's like, Wielopolski? He's like, do you know Alexander Wielopolski? And he's like, yeah, that's my dad. I have the chills. And he's like, do you know what your dad did? And he's like, I don't, I don't know. They're like, what? This guy had found out, so my dad just found this out like five or six years ago, that when my granddad was in Auschwitz, um, one of, there was, there, I can't remember the name of the guy, but he went into, into the camp, a Polish guy went into the camp to do, to basically um, document what was going on. So he almost like voluntarily got captured. When he found out my granddad was getting out, he said, you have to pass on this message to this guy. I'm going to give you these details. You've got to remember it and pass on what I'm about to tell you. So my granddad gets out. He found, finds this guy out who lives in Sweden passes on the message. This guy passes on this message from Sweden to London. And it was the first news about the concentration camp in Poland. My granddad passed this on. I'll, I'll send you an article because it's in this article that um, this guy wrote as well. But my parents just found this out. I was like, my granddad fucking came out of the camp and told the world what is happening. That's insane. I know. It's insane how much of that like history we all have. And it's like so so ingrained in us and it has so much to do with like our actions and mannerisms and who we are now because I really do believe in ancestral trauma or 
the good things that happen, the bad things, and like to work that through and break the chain from that kind of pain and suffering and what people have seen. I know. It's incredible. Mindful of time. Two questions. I'm going to change it up a bit. Do you have a comfort food? Polish food forever. It's weird because I get like bloated and have allergies <laughs> to almost everything I eat, but I eat everything. And the only place I never feel like unwell is when I go to Poland. Isn't that weird? What was the first thing you go for? I mean, even when you eat like potatoes and strawberries and milk and cheese and ponchki and everything and kielbasa like or bikos, like I never feel like I have a reaction to food there, but I always feel like I have a reaction to food everywhere else in the world. Isn't that wild? That's interesting. Even if it's the same food. Wow. Because it's like, what is it? Your microbiome? Or right. It's like where you're It from. knows your home. But yeah, I went to Polka, the Polish restaurant two days ago and I was like... This is the best tomato soup in the world. Uh, love that. And I love bigos and goulash and bash. Mm. Yeah. All the soups. Oh my God. And my favorite thing in Poland is go mushroom foraging in the forest at like five in the morning, come back with buckets full of mushrooms, chanterelles. I'm doing that in August. I can't wait. I was literally just telling my husband about that, how in Australia we would do that and it would just be all the Eastern Europeans in the woods because none of the Australians would touch the mushrooms. Yeah, yeah they're like, we're going to get high and get, it's going to get psychedelic. Exactly. Or like, these are poisonous. Last question. What are you looking forward to? Oh my gosh, today. today. Like, I have so much to look forward to. You know what I look forward to the most that makes me really fucking excited is not knowing what's next. Like, the unknown future. It's so weird because I used to have such a fear of the unknown and now, like, I don't fucking know what's going to happen in an hour in 10 hours tomorrow in a week and a month and a year and 10 years but it's so awesome and exciting to just not know because i really love like learn how to trust the universe after all this fuckery that i've gone through the last couple of years so i'm just kind of like you know what life is got, like it's it's good it's beautiful well i'm excited to see what's next for you and i'm excited for our lunch maybe we'll throw some vodka into it yeah yeah, yeah. we're totally doing lunch we have to i can't wait